0: What we doing? Four of you are great. 125 of you are figuring it out. Let's all be great together, amen. I mean, it's really it really is a temptation not just to give Hunter Sparkman the the floor here and allow him to preach the gospel of how it is to be a dad and how Jesus has changed his life, but after 4 hours of pictures and video, we figured we just let you guys have conversation, take him to dinner, whatever. But we're so glad to see God move in Hunter's life and and just the beautiful thing it is of being a dad. Um, I know that twice, and I know how awesome it is. I was texting with them earlier. You just feel a certain connection with the Lord when he entrusts you with some human lives. And it's just a very beautiful thing. What's awesome is that God gives all of us a mission. And for some of you, it may be be to be a parent. It may be to be a spouse. It may be a teacher or, um, you know, whatever your occupation may be. But your mission is straight from God, and it's a God-given mission and opportunity that we want to unpack this morning as we get into Galatians chapter 2. So if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 in the New Testament. My name is Scott Matthews. For those of you who don't know me, typically I get to be the campus pastor. Today they gave me a microphone, and we don't know why. But, uh, no, just kidding. We're excited to be able to share this moment with you, and we're going to keep going. We're going to walk this beginning of the year with Galatians. It's going to be a long journey, sometimes we're going to take big gigantic leaps, sometimes we're going to take baby steps, but every part of this journey is going to be something we really feel is going to be beneficial to your spiritual life and and to the life of the community around us. And so last week, Justin got us started, he's our lead teaching pastor, he got us started with Galatians chapter 1, looking at three very specific things, that our call to understand true freedom is to change our perspective, to change our prayer, and to change our position. True freedom and salvation are found in Jesus alone. We know that to be true because so many of us, we've tried different things. And if we, if we had the list, it'd be a very long list of things that we've tried to find freedom. But the gospel tells us that only freedom, only true freedom can be found in Jesus. And as Justin put it in our notes today, it's at the intersection of spirit and truth. So let's stay there this morning as we read God's word. Join me in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start in verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I also took Titus along. I went up in response to a revelation, and meeting privately those esteemed as leaders, I presented them with the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you. As those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I have been trusted with the task of preaching to the gospel of the uncir- to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been tasked to preach to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter's life as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, who esteemed us pillars, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace that was given to me. And they agreed that we should go to all the Gentiles and to the circumcised, and they to the circumcised. And all they ask is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. It is with all my heart and conviction that I believe that every single one of us is given a mission by God to be a part of. What's neat about our church is being a part of the fellowship. We have a collective mission. While it may look different individually, our collective mission is to go do whatever it takes to develop disciples of Jesus Christ who gather, grow, and go. You hear me say that all the time, so much so that the staff gave me the GGG award because I talk about the mission statement all the time. But for me, it's more than just a clever saying. It's the way that I'm supposed to operate. My mission is to go into my community, into my neighborhood, into my own home, and to do whatever it takes to develop disciples of Jesus Christ who gather, grow, and go. There is no end to this mission because as soon as I help develop one disciple, I'm to continue that and also start another and start another. My mission never ends, but I have to understand that mission. And for us, as we get into Galatians 2, as we begin this process and this journey of this text, the biggest thing for us is to understand that Paul was trying to understand and to proclaim the mission that he was given. We need to make sure that we're on the right page. Paul's mission was God-given gospel to the Gentiles, he said. We have to remember that this revelation wasn't from him. He didn't go out to dinner one night and all of a sudden just had this passion for a group of people he saw. God had stopped him literally in his tracks and said, you are going to now go and do something else for me. This is God-given, Jesus-inspired, Jesus-given mission to go bring the gospel to a group of people that had not heard about the gospel and in some ranks had had not been worthy of the gospel. Can you imagine if that existed today? And I pray it doesn't, that only certain people are worthy of the Gospel. Because when I read my Bible and I see the mission that Jesus was on and I read the text and I see the Scriptures, it reminds me that we are all capable of receiving the Gospel of Jesus Christ. None of us is worthy by ourselves, but through the grace of Jesus Christ, we have this avenue in which to embrace the gospel, receive it, make, the Lord the, make Jesus the Lord of our lives. That's through His grace. And so if it was available to me, it's available to you, it's available to whomever we come in contact with. Verse 2, he says, I went up according to this revelation to present to them the gospel that I preach amongst the Gentiles. Let me help you understand Peter, John, John, James, this is the gospel, this is the message, this is the mission, guys, Paul's saying, that I'm entrusted with. This wasn't given to me by man. this is what God told me to do. And in this particular meeting, not only is it for Paul, because he'll say letter, I want to make sure I wasn't running in vain, but this understanding was also for the apostles, the ones that we knew as the disciples. Do you understand that God has given me this mission? And so in this moment, Paul demonstrates the leadership What God had led him to do. He shows a sign of respect because they have been the ones that the faith of Jesus Christ, they're the ones that people have been standing on their shoulders ever since Jesus ascended back into heaven. Let me show you respect for the mission that you have carried and show that that mission has now been brought down to me. And then in there, he opens himself up to accountability, making sure that he indeed was doing the right thing the right way. Because I believe with all my heart, if James, Peter, and John... Had any one of them said, that's not the mission, that Paul himself would have said, then tell me what is, because I want to do the bidding and the will of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that you are on mission? Do you understand what that mission is? For those of you that have been entrusted with salvation through the grace of Jesus Christ, that wasn't given to you so that you could sit in the corner and wait until Jesus return. That was given to you so that you could disperse it. You could be, as we've been saying a lot, you've been the hope dealer, the salvation introducer. You have been the one that's given a mission to go take it to the next person and allow them the same opportunity that you have. My life group and the people that have been in my life group, you're going to hear so much of what we talk about week in and week out. You know what's coming next. It doesn't matter how much you know, it does matter how much you live out. We are on mission. What mission are you on? Are you on the one that is carrying the gospel to other people? Or are you on a mission for yourself? Making a name for yourself, propping yourself up, tending your own selfish desires? Yeah, we're going to let some awkward silence happen there because I want you to think about that one. What mission are you on? The mission of the gospel is not left up to interpretation. The mission of the gospel is up to obedience. And we are to be obedient to whatever God has called us to. Some of you may be like, Scott, that's great. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be obedient to. Welcome to the rest of the sermon. Here we go. What are we called to fight? What are we called to fight? Now, before any of you goes, we're like, man, I'm going to go to the academy or Dick Sporting Goods and grab some ammo. No, that's not the fight. We are to fight the perverted gospels that are prevalent in our society. We are to fight the perverted gospels that are rampant in our church. We are to fight the perverted gospel that we embrace, not realizing it's a perverted gospel. And what is a perverted gospel? Remember how Justin always says anything Jesus plus, gospel plus? That's a perverted gospel. If you have ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're like, man, that sounds great. I'm going to do that and you just perverted the gospel. I'm going to do everything that Jesus says except for here. You just perverted the gospel. The word of God is not left, left open for you to decide what to do. It's only left for you to be obedient by. If Jesus' word says it, you do it. So what are we called to do? We are to fight for the gospel. We are to make sure the purity of the gospel stays true. So that's why, like Justin, myself, and others in leadership, if you ever hear something outside the gospel come out of our lips from this stage, from this position, you are to call us, you are to stop us, you are to to get us off from the side in a conversation saying, hold on just a second, open ourselves up to accountability because we need purity of the gospel before we need anything else. There's a lot of gospels out there that are fun and flashy, and attract thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. But are they the gospel? That's what we have to decide through the power of the Holy Spirit. John will tell us later, test everything. Test everything and make sure it's actually from Jesus Christ. Because there's some, there's some great churches that are attracting tens of thousands. Their gospel is as pure as it comes. There are a lot out there that are perverted. And we, the fellowship, do not want to be one of those churches. We don't want to be in a place where we, you know, alter it just so it's a little flashier. Maybe it brings us three or four more people. And Paul certainly in his day did not want to do that. Go back to Galatians 2, pick it up in verse 3, and I'll show you a time where Paul had to make a stand for this. Chapter 2, verse 3, Paul writes in his letter, he says, Yet not even Titus, who was, compelled, uh, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We didn't give in to them, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you. See, what was happening in this moment, and we could get into a long conversation of circumcision and make all of you feel uncomfortable. Or we could give you the short version and just tell you this. Bottom line was that the Jews were trying to make new Christians Jewish before they would become Christians. And Paul's saying, that's not the way anymore. Jesus Christ is to the Jewish people as he is to the Gentile people. We don't need to add to the gospel. We just simply need to embrace the gospel. Paul's not negating everything that the Jewish people had done for centuries. He was not dishonoring or disassociating. There's a rightful place in that culture and that climate, and it is something that is pure, and they are good, but anyone Gentiles, do not make them become who you are to accept Jesus Christ. Because it's not Jesus according to the Jews, it's simply Jesus. It's not Jesus according to Americans, it's just Jesus. So how are we embracing Jesus before we do anything else? How are we protecting and fighting and standing for the purity of the gospel so that when you communicate what you do know, and those questions are going to come up, Well, what about, Scott, I've always heard, A friend of mine once told me, I look on Wikipedia, Facebook, social media told me. Then you go back to the Bible, but here's what Jesus says. I know what they said. And they got most of it right. But Jesus gets it all right. Let's go back to what he says. Paul says in verse 5, The truth of the gospel, we did all this. We didn't let them make us slaves. We didn't let them change our minds. We didn't let them have any say in this because we wanted to make sure the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. How incredible it is that we can fight for the gospel in such a way that we don't disrespect one another. We just hold each other accountable. We want to make sure that the mission that you're on is the mission that God has chosen for you. That's why Paul says, look, Peter's got a great ministry and a great mission to the Jewish people. I've got a mission that I'm supposed to be doing to the Gentile people. and We were going to respect one another because of it. And unified, we're trying to do whatever it takes to develop disciples along the way. Forced religion, I want you to hear this. It's not going to be on your screen, but it's important to say. Forced religion, enslaves. But the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ frees us. If there have been people in your life and you're like, look, you can come to know Jesus, but here's the 12-step program and the three hoops and this is, this is the amount of money that... No. Forced religion enslaves you. Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ frees you so that when you do some of the things that the disciplines and you do some of the things that we're called to do, which are very important, they're done out of love, they're done out of, they're just, they're just done because you're like, I want to get to know Jesus more. So I want to pray. I want to serve. I want to just have Sabbath. I want to, to break away with the scriptures and just meditate. I want to do all these things because I love Jesus. And you feel freedom in the disciplines, not enslaved. So once we figure out what we're fighting, then the next thing is who are we called to fight for? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a long list here. I mean, you could go through the things, and I think we could just, just dip our toe in the water a little bit, and we could figure out a lot of people to go fight for. I'm going to give you just a few, just to kind of kind of begin the conversation. Some of you will continue it on your life group. Some of you at lunchtime today. Some of you will just pr- meditate and pray on it. But who are we called to fight for? Let's first base this in Scripture. Paul says in verse 7, On the contrary, they recognize that I have been trusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter or Cephas in this particular moment as well, was given the task of preaching to the circumcised. For God, who is at work in Peter as an apostle of the circumcised, was also at work in me. So Paul's saying, look, I know who I'm called to fight for. I'm called to fight for the uncircumcised. I'm called to fight for the Gentiles, to make sure they get to hear the gospel. Who are we called to fight? I want to give you three. One is, I think we're called to fight for the lost. Those of you who are not in church culture, you haven't been around church a long time, Lost is a very churchy word inside the walls of this church. Outside, it just means you can't figure out what direction you're going. Spiritually, it also means the same thing. The lost lost are people that cannot find their way to Jesus because they don't know what direction to head. Some of you in this moment right now, in this room, you are lost because you know that Jesus is here, but you're not sure where to look for him. We're called to fight for you to make sure that you have an opportunity to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can have that conversation and be presented with a choice so you could choose Jesus for yourself. We are called to go out into this great neighborhood, these great cities that we live in, these great places. We're not just supposed to just take up space. We're supposed to make sure that they hear about the gospel. And I know that for some of you, that's a very scary proposition because you might have to use words. You might have to maybe change the way you act. But I promise you, when it's purity of the gospel, you don't care. You just want people to come to know Jesus Christ. We are called to fight for the lost. I heard a pastor in in Washington, D.C., Mark Batterson. He said this in a recent sermon. And without getting into the full context, I think the line is pure. There are some times that you have to make decisions against yourself to do the things that God has called you to do. Basically meaning, if I'm called to get out of the lost, then I can't be scared to get out of the house. If I'm called to, to reach the lost and share, the, share Christ, I shouldn't be scared to lose my job. If I'm called to, to fight for the lost, I can't, be, I can't be afraid of losing the relationship because Jesus has brought us together for a reason. Sometimes we have to make decisions against ourselves to do the things that we're called to do. We've got to fight for the lost because, look, there are a lot of great people, and there's a lot of great websites and and stories, and there's great YouTube channels and social media pages, but you know what makes a difference in somebody's life is not who they see, it's who they actually know, bringing them the gospel. Some of your friends are desperately waiting for someone to present the gospel. And while you look around to see who's going to do it, Jesus is pointing the finger at you and saying, I just need you to start talking and I'll give you the words to say. Friends, if you've been in church for 10 minutes or 10 decades, it doesn't matter. Teach people, share with people what you know. There are some stories in this room right now. I'm not going to pick on you. We're not going to ask you to come up and give a testimony or or a story time. We're not even going to embarrass you and put the spotlight on you. But there's a story. The only person that could really impact somebody's life is you because you're the one that lived it. You have the experience. You have the scars. You have the t-shirts. You got everything there is. You simply need to share your story. Fight for the lost by telling them what you do know. The second group of people is fight for the misinformed. I want to back up to a scripture in John 14, 6 that many of you know, but you may not know the reference, but know the reference. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Sometimes when we fight for the misinformed, they forgot that there is only one way to salvation. There's only one way to eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. You be the conductor of good information. Pray, seek opportunities, Ask the Lord, what should I say? What scripture should I point them to? Fight for the misinformed because they need to know that what they know is not right. How many of us are like, we don't tell you what's not right because I like you so much. I don't want you to get your feelings hurt. Hurt their feelings. Because they may miss heaven because you weren't willing to hurt their feelings. Let that sink in for a minute. How terrible it would be if we got to heaven and they're like, man, oh, he was so close. She was so close. But no one really told her, him, the difference. Fight for the misinformed. Make sure they have purity of the gospel. Make sure they understand. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he says this in verse 1, he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Later on, same chapter, verse 15, it says, Then make, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Friends, make sure that you're making the most of every opportunity. Give them as much Jesus as you can. Sometimes use the words, sometimes use your actions, sometimes just use your prayers. The prayers of the powerful, the prayer of the righteous is just as effective as a conversation you may have. But you've got to be willing to do it. Fight for people. Paul writes this to Titus. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us for all, from all wickedness, and to purify himself a people, that are his very own eager to do what is good? Are we a people that are eager to do what is good? Third one I would offer to you is the fight for the marginalized. Fight for the people that sometimes don't feel like they have any say or any power or any influence. Fight for the ones that don't know that they could really become something if they would simply embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9 says this. It says, speak up for the people that have no voice for the rights of all the misfits. Speak out for justice and stand up for the poor and the destitute. Eugene Peterson wrote that in the message, and I love it. Stand up for those that have no voice for the rights of the misfits. How incredible it would be if you had a friend that would stand up for you, and then you would stand up for someone else and someone else and someone else until every single one of us came to know Jesus Christ. They need to know that they're valuable. They need to know that they have influence. They need to know that they're worthy. They need to know that Jesus loves them. Paul is fighting for a group of people that the Jews at the time were saying, they don't count. They don't qualify. They're not worthy of the gospel. And Paul is saying, my friends, yes, they are. And I'm willing to give my life so that every person that calls himself a Gentile, every person that's not of Jewish heritage can hear the same Jesus, can have the same opportunity that we have had. And Paul was willing to give his life for those that had no voice. We're called to fight for the marginalized. There's always some among us. There's always people that need someone to step up for them. Paul even writes here that, that Peter looked at him and said, look, I will be glad to support anything you do as long as you do one thing for us. That you will support and minister to the poor. And where did Peter learn that? From Jesus himself. Matthew recorded Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 26. Starting in verse 8, it says, when the disciples had saw this, they became indignant. What did they see? They saw a lady spill perfume on the feet of Jesus to worship him, to honor him, to anoint him. Their first thought was, why didn't we just sell that and give it to the poor? And Jesus continued on. He said, this perfume, the guy said the perfume could have been sold at a price, given to the poor. But Jesus said, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you. You won't always have me. Verse 13, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, she will be told about because of her sacrifice. We have poor people around us all the time, poor in spirit. Poor in finances, poor in circumstances. We don't need the government to come do it for us. We need to go do it. We don't need another church to go do it for us. We need to come do it. We don't need to wait until COVID is over. We need to go do it now. We don't need to wait until the perfect circumstances are coming because, newsflash, the perfect circumstances are never coming. If God has given us a mission and God has given us somebody, don't wait. Do it now. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. We need to fight for the people that have no voice, the people that need to know how valuable they are. And God has given us some tools, everybody. God has given us tools and the ability to do some stuff. What did he give us? He gave us our story. One of your greatest tools is the one that you don't put enough value in, and that is the story of how you came to know Jesus Christ. You use that because there's somebody, like we said earlier, there's somebody that needs to hear it. There's somebody that can really benefit and the only person to really connect with and really just, just really feel like, man, there's a connection here of stories and lies is when you tell your story. And for those of you that have been in the church, please don't ever fall in this trap that many of us felt in. Well, I've got the boring testimony. Then you use the boring testimony to the glory of God and give people just an opportunity to come see Jesus. Because there have been a lot of people that it said, "I don't matter, and my story' is not significant. Every story is significant. You just got to be willing to share it. Use your story. Ask yourself, who in my life needs to hear it. Tell your story and unlock God's power around you. They need to know who you were before Jesus. They need to know how you came to know Jesus, and they need to know the difference that Jesus has made in your life since. Begin to use your story. The second thing is you need to learn the Bible. You need to learn the Bible. Scott, there's so much of the Bible that I just don't understand. I mean, three, two-thirds of it is like old. But it's still powerful. The Old Testament, just as well as the New Testament, tells of stories of impossible odds where yet God comes through and makes something possible. Scott, you don't know. I got marriage problems. It's in the Bible. I got parenting problems in the Bible. I got financial problems in the Bible. I got co-worker problems in the Bible. What you got? Jesus has it. You need to learn your Bible. It's confusing. That's why we have life groups. So we can iron, sharpen, iron one another. We can, we can share stuff. And some of the best moments in, in our life group that I've experienced, and I'm praying that Callie would agree to this, is when somebody in our life group raises raise their hand and be like, I don't get it. And then we'll stop in our tracks, and then we'll talk about that I don't get moment. And it becomes a teaching lesson for all of us, and we we'll walk all, all of us walk out of the house better because we pause and says, "Let's make sure we all get it. Let's don't assume that I do. Let's get in a life group. If you're not a part of a life group, I want you to email me. You can do it at prayer at thefellowship.cc. It's easy to remember prayer. It's hard to. It's easy to misspell Scott Matthews at thefellowship.cc. You can email me there as well if you'd like. But get a part of a life group and become just a learner of the Bible." Not only in your personal quiet time, Bible plans. Use that Bible app. Not only can you use the Bible app to know what we're talking about here on Sunday mornings, but get your reading plan three days, five days, seven days, a year-long plan. Learn the Bible. Get to know God's scriptures. Because the more you learn, the more it soaks in, where you still may not know the reference. But all of a sudden, you'll be like, I was reading the scripture that day, and I realized God can do that. If he did it once, he can do it again. He's just that powerful. Learn your Bible. The third thing is, rely on the Holy Spirit. By my own power, I am limited. By my own knowledge, I am limited. But the Holy Spirit is one-third of the Holy Trinity. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Meaning, the Holy Spirit has just as much power as God and Jesus, because they're all one, they're all unified. We get the power of the Holy Spirit to reside in us the moment that we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Meaning when you're weak, the Holy Spirit comes right behind you give you that strength. When you're like, I don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will get you that scripture that you need to help you in that moment. I don't know if I could do that. The Holy Spirit teaches and guides and directs and sometimes disciplines you so that you could do the thing that you think you need to do or you know you need to do. We got to rely on the Holy Spirit. Don't look at another person and be like, I'm called to fight for them, but they're never going to accept Jesus. Then that's because you're trying to do it on your power. Rely on the Holy Spirit to break walls down and be like, hey, this is going to be, this might be a lifelong process. You don't know how hard headed he is or she is, but the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, you don't know how powerful I am. So if it takes you a moment, if it takes you a lifetime, you continue to pray and rely on the Holy Spirit to give you the power, give you the strength, give you the understanding give you the love that you might need. and You rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to make the difference on the mission that you're called to. John 14, 26 says this, my helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Jesus didn't leave the world empty-handed. He left a helper named the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I want to ask you, who are you called to? That's a matter of prayer. You've got to ask God, what is my mission and who am I called to? What group of people or what individual or what family? Who am I called to to share my story? They could be in this room. They could be online. They could be sitting in your home. They could be in your neighborhood. I don't know where they are. You've got to figure that with the power of God and the Holy Spirit saying, who am I called to reach for Jesus Christ? What investment am I supposed to make? You might say, I need to know who I'm supposed to help. Let Jesus take it from there. Let me pause real quick. I know my time is fading, but let me pause real quick. Some of you, it's hard to be called to somebody until you yourself have been called to Jesus. Your first call may not be to go minister to somebody in the community. Your first call needs to be to Jesus Christ. And if you are absent of a relationship with Jesus Christ, then none of this matters until that moment. You are called to Him first. Jesus needs to be your love, needs to be your Savior, needs to be the core of who you are. doesn't matter how bad you think you've been, doesn't matter all the sins that you've committed, if you will proclaim the name of Jesus and embrace Him as Lord and Savior of your life, He will forever change your trajectory and the outlook of your life, and He will save you. Call Him first. Make sure He's here before you go out there. Second thing is not only who you call to, what are you called to fight? We're to fight against perverted Gospels. It's not Gospel Plus. It's not Jesus Plus. You make sure that in your life there is no perverted Gospel. There may be some hard stances that you're going to have to take. You're going to have to change some lifestyle behaviors. You're going to have to change some tendencies. You're going to have to change the way they've been talking. You're going to change the way you've been living. But I promise you, when you purify the Gospel in your heart, it is always a good decision. You fight for the purity of the Gospel. Hold people accountable in your life. We don't like that word accountability. But you need to embrace it. Not only that you hold people people accountable, but you, like Paul, open yourself up to accountability. And allow the gospel to change your life, to purify in your heart, so that everything that comes out of you is just pure Jesus. Pure Jesus. Pure gospel. You fight it. Remember, make decisions against yourself if you have to. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. The fight against the fleshly and sinful desires, there are no barriers to Jesus. Jesus can overcome them all. You make sure that you fight for the purity of the gospel. The last one I would give you is simply that sharpen your tools. Know your story, learn your story, speak your story. Uh, in seminary evangelism class was a 30-second elevator pitch. You might get 30 seconds between floors telling them the gospel in 30 seconds. I'd have to ask my dad, but I think he might have had that professor that would take him downtown, put him on an elevator, be like, 30 seconds, lead somebody to Jesus, and then hit, close the door. That's how seriously they took it. That sounds scary to you, but not everybody's asked to do that. You sharpen your story. It may be over coffee. It may be over dinner. Maybe it works sometime. But you learn your story. You didn't make it this far without God redeeming you and using your story for a purpose. Don't let it just sit out there and you sit in a corner. Tell your story. Dedicate your life to getting to know the Bible. Get a part of a life group. If you've known the Bible for a while, you feel really good, get into a discipleship group. We call them D groups. Men's, women's. We got them starting all over the place. You need one? Come find me. Come find Justin. Go even deeper in, in your knowledge. Not so that you would know more. That's not the point of a group. So that you become more that Jesus has called you to be. And finally, not on my notes, but very important, learn to trust the Holy Spirit before you trust yourself. If you are at the end of the road, guess what? You're just at the beginning of the reach of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than we are, more powerful, more resourceful, has greater connections than anything we could do. And you learn to trust the Holy Spirit, and the power of God that he's put inside your heart. And I promise you, it'll change your life forever. This morning, as the band comes up and we pray, I want to encourage you. If you say, I don't know who, what my mission is, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. Let me remind you first, you just figure out, do you even know who Jesus is? Don't go on a mission for Jesus until you truly know that he's the Lord of your life. If you're like, I don't know, let's talk. Let's get together. Let's trade some emails, phone calls, whatever. But let's make sure that Jesus is the center, the core, the Lord of your life. This morning, I would also ask you, those of you are like, man, I got Jesus, then live on a mission for him. Do what it takes to develop disciples of Jesus Christ. Build relationships with other people. There are people that are literally hanging on by a thread in our world right now. They need the hope of Jesus because last chance, last look I saw, the grip of Jesus, it's impossible for him to let go. So let's get Jesus into their lives, whatever it takes. And let's make sure that we're fighting for the purity of the gospel, both in our lives and the world. So that when we say, man, look at all the good that has come out of this. We look at all the things that have happened. We don't look at political parties. We don't look at any one specific person up on a pedestal. We just simply gaze upon God and say, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your power. Let's change the world. As cliche as it sounds, let's start with yours and then branch out. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, before I even began this morning, we sang We sang a song that said, I'm available. God, that we would be available for whatever you want to call us to next. That we would just trust you, that we would put our faith and our lives in your hands, that nothing else would matter. God, thank you for the testimony of Paul that was willing to fight for Gentile people because in a sense he's fighting for us to hear the gospel. Thank you that he was willing to give his life for it, not to allow anything or anything stop him from the mission that you had given to him. Father, may we learn that same thing and that we would fight for the mission. We would fight for the cause. We would fight for the kingdom of God because heaven would be so much sweeter if everyone were coming with us. So help us to serve, to love, to live you as much as possible. As we sing this morning, as we reflect, would you inspire us? Would you challenge us? Would you tell us what our next steps are? As we sing, maybe we sit, and we just reflect. As we pray, whatever our response may be this morning, that we would simply yield and surrender our next step to you. Because God, there's somebody out there that needs us. Show us the way and find us faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.